also, we actually have a special guest in today. That special guest is my brother. His name is Caleb Friedemann. Now, now, some of you know Caleb. You spent a little bit of time around Caleb. There's a couple important things you need to know. First of all, he is off the charts brilliant. He's a PhD in New Testament studies. You probably didn't know you'd get a PhD in the Bible, did you? He, he has one of them. He's a college professor. He teaches at Ohio Christian University. So he's got all that going for him. The flip side of it is he's an amazing guitarist. He can sing opera. And he has six USA powerlifting records. Now, they, some of them may have been broken by now, but he's set. Okay, all of them have been broken, but at one point, he was the best there was. He set six or seven, Amer seven? Seven USA powerlifting records. And you'll, you'll see it. Once you see him, you're like, oh, I get it. Like, I get it. He's, he's, he's huge. Okay, so you'll, you'll see that. But he's brilliant, loves the Lord. I'm so excited about what he has to share with us today. So why don't you join me in welcoming Pastor Caleb to the stage today? Come on, let's give it up. Well, good morning, Foundry. It is great to be here. I have been here a number of times, but it's, it's crazy because I, I kind of knew about Foundry before Foundry existed. When it was in the inception stage, and I, I knew from, I mean, Elijah wanted to play in a church from about the time he went to college, and so I, I've, I've known that this was in the works for a long time. It's been cool to see you guys from a distance launch and grow and hear about some of the stories. I've been able to come here and worship with you guys a few times when I've been in town for breaks, and man, it's just exciting what you guys are doing here in the Jackson Flowood area, and I'm just thrilled to be part of that today. I know that we're all gearing up for the new year, and you guys are getting ready for 2020. That's crazy. Wow. It feels like 2019 has just gone by really, really fast. I've just got a question, though. I know that some of us are more planners and some of us aren't, right? Uh, I'm one of those people who is a big goals person, vision person, so in the next couple of days, I need to sit down and get together my 2020 vision, right? figure out what goals I have. Actually, I was talking about to someone about this the other day. I was saying, well, I really want to start on this, this uh, book project this summer, and all I need to do is just finish this article and that article and co-write this book and this and this and this. And, I thought, and about halfway through that, I thought, there's no way I'm getting all that done in 2020. It's just not going to happen. I need to give myself a little bit of a break. But you probably have your own goals that you're trying to get together, right? Some of you might be more planners than others, but I, I just have a question. Now, there, there are different kinds of goal setters. How many of you are New Year's resolution people? Wow. Okay, I have three of you here. All right. So I was, I was asking around in the lobby trying to figure out if, if we had any really interesting New Year's resolutions. And no one, no one that I was talking to re really had a lot. But, yeah, some of us are resolution people. You're like, I want to get in shape or whatever. But whatever, whatever your plan is, you're getting ready for 2020. And the thing that we don't usually plan for, though, that I can almost certainly guarantee you is going to happen in 2020, is that you are going to have some very difficult times. How's that for exciting Sunday morning, right? Yeah, inspirational. We're going to ask this guy back again. Yeah, it's going to be, there are going to be some difficult times. Now, there are going to be some really good times, too. There are going to be times of celebration and times of joy, times of happiness, times with family. But there are also going to be some really difficult times. And you might have some very difficult days. In fact, you might have a day like my friend Alexander. A terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. In fact, we're going to do a little story time. Sometimes they do this at churches when they have kids, you know, like before the kids go out, they have a little kids sermon and they'll have everybody down front. So we're going to do a little, little story time with Pastor Caleb here. <clears throat> 
because I just want to get you ready for the day that you might be experiencing someday soon. I went to sleep with gum in my mouth, and now there's gum in my hair. And when I got out of bed this morning, I tripped on the skateboard, and by mistake, I dropped my sweater in the sink while the water was running, and I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. By the way, I don't know if you, there are any grammar people in here. This whole book is run on sentences. <laughs> At breakfast, Anthony found a Corvette Stingray car kit in his breakfast cereal box, and Nick found a junior undercover agent code ring in his breakfast cereal box. But in my breakfast cereal box, all I found was breakfast cereal. I think I'll move to Australia. How those two connect, I have no idea. But this is a classic. In the carpool, Miss Gibson let Becky have a seat by the window. Audrey and Elliot got seats by the window, too. I said I was being scrunched. I said I was being smushed. I said, if I don't get a seat by the window, I'm going to be car sick. No one even answered. I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. Now, I'm not even going to finish it, it, but it gets worse, I promise you. <laughs> and some of us have terrible, horrible, no good, very bad minutes. You might have hours like that. You might have a day like that. You might have a week like that. You might even have a month, a season, a year like that. And there are two different ways to respond to difficult times. One is that you can get yourself into a spiral of depression and anxiety. You can, you can get into your head, you can start focusing on the problem so much that it throws everything else off in your life, and that can happen in 2020 for you. That can happen for all of us. In fact, we probably experienced that on a micro level in various parts of our lives. But there is another way that the Bible talks about encountering hard times, those terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days, seasons, and that is to flourish and have joy in the midst of them. But how is it that you can do that? What would that even look like? What would that look like? And today I want to take you to a scripture that has been extremely helpful in my own life with dealing with those difficult times. And it's Psalm 77. I'd like you to turn there in your Bibles, or if you don't have a paper Bible on, on your phone, if, you're, if you are using a paper copy of your Bible, just Psalms are right in the middle there, and you just need to turn to 77 once you, once you get there. Now, Psalm 77, ju- let me just give you a couple details here, big picture. This is a Psalm of Asaph. Now, Asaph was one of the chief musicians whom David appointed in the temple. You can read about this in First and Second Chronicles. And First Chronicles tells us that Asaph could play, I love this, he could play loudly <laughs> on harps and lyres and cymbals. Mark, I think he'd be your kind of guy, okay? But he, he could play loudly. He liked to hit things, musical instruments, that is. He was also a hit songwriter, and he was ranked alongside David. Now, he didn't write quite as many psalms as David did. Now, you guys know that psalms are worship songs, right? The the, the psalms are the worship book of God's people. Actually, they would have been the worship book of Jesus, too. In fact, you guys even did a series on on some psalms, right? Jesus' playlist a while back. So they're Jesus' playlist. Now, a lot of psalms are written by David. So you might think about this. In terms of, like, worship, worship artists today, David is like Bethel right now, okay? All right, but Asaph isn't quite on that level. He wrote 12 psalms, so he's more like, like Hillsong, 
or so, something, right? So he's, he's like number, number two or three, maybe, maybe four, but he's, he's up there, okay? You guys are probably, if, if Asaph were writing today, you would have sung some of his songs, not as many as you sing in Bethel, but like there are going to be some in the mix, right? He would have done Cornerstone, right? Now, he's got, he's got 12 psalms, and he's, he wrote Psalm 50, and then all his other psalms are from Psalms 73 to 83. So there's a whole cluster of them right here. And I want to read you this psalm from Asaph. He says this, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters. Yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Now, the big picture of this psalm is that it begins with a cry of anguish. And it ends with a song of praise. But it's what happens in the middle that makes all the difference. And so I want to take a closer look at that. So let's, let's just jump back to the beginning of the psalm. I'm going to walk, walk up through. Really, the psalmist begins by asking, basically, God, where are you? You see him describing his intense anguish, his stress. He talks about, in the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. He's like, somebody come help me, but there isn't anybody. And then it's, it even says that when I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit this person is in incredible anguish. I'm not sure I've felt anything ever quite like this. The best analogy I can get for myself is that it feels like when I had the flu a couple years ago. You guys been there? Like you, you start feeling bad that, that one night and then you, like you just can't, can't go to sleep. And then the next thing you know, it's 3 a.m. and you're sitting on the toilet because you have to. And you're grabbing the trash can because you're throwing up as well, Right. And then you try to you do that, and then you go back, try to go back to sleep, but you can't because your eyes ache so much, and you have this fever, and you can't sleep, but you can't enjoy being awake either. So you're just in this this middle state. Now my problem was when this happened to me a couple of years ago, I was living in Wheaton, Illinois. I had no family to come save me. There was no mom to come bring me Gatorade and Sprite and crackers and all that, get me some medicine. And so I just waited it out in my little room on a second floor story of a house in, in Wheaton, Illinois. No good, right? You just have to, you just have to wait out. And that's kind of how this guy feels. 
He, talk, he talks about, oh, I just, oh, I, feel, I feel terrible inside and outside, and my hands stretch out without wearying, and nobody's coming to save me. And the worst thing is, when he thinks about God, it makes it worse. Isn't that weird? When he thinks about God, he says, he moans. When I meditate, my spirit faints, is the way he puts it. Now, those, those verbs, remembering and meditating, that you see in verse 3 there, those are important, so hang on to those. We're going to come back to them. But then we find out more of what his problem is in the next few verses. He says, you hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. He says, I consider the days of old, the years long ago. So what it seems like is happening is that he's thinking back to the past, and that's actually part of the problem. He's thinking back to the past, and he's realizing how good things used to be. You guys ever do this? You have a glory days mentality. You guys ever heard of this? The glory days, right? Those, those, those times back when things were better. And it turns out that the way that humans are wired, we can do that with just about anything. You can always find a time when something was better in your life. Now, maybe you, you had problems, but you had different problems than, you want, than the ones you have now. So something's going wrong in your life, and you look back to the glory days, and you think, man, if I could just get back there, right? And you can do this as an individual. You can do this as a church. You can look back at, as Foundry and say, man, remember when we were at Table 100? We had this great community, and they, they put out, you know, nice glass glasses out in the lobby, and we could get cool things to drink. Man, if we could just get back to those days. Now, what you forget about is that you had to carry everything in every Sunday, right? But you can still do the glory days thing. You can say, oh, man, I, I just wish we had community like we had back then. I wish that we had some, somebody putting out iced tea and iced water with glass glasses in the lobby, I wish we could just get back there, right? That, if we, our church would be really great if we could do that. And you can do that as an individual, too. So he's looking back to the past, but the past is actually making it worse. And then I love what happens next. He asks God some really difficult questions. He asks five. Number one, will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Wow, that's bold, isn't it? Like, just to articulate that question takes a lot of chutzpah. <laughs> Second one, has his steadfast love forever ceased? You're like, whoa, is this, is this in the Bible, you know? <laughs> like, are you sure this isn't like some, some other psalm from some other religion? No, this is, this is what the psalmist is asking. He's asking very honest and very difficult questions. Number three, has God forgotten to be gracious? You're like, is that a real question? Yeah, it's a real question for him. Has God forgotten to be gracious? Number four, has he in anger shut up his compassion, and I actually forgot the one in the middle, are his promises at an end for all time? What I love about the Psalms is that they teach us how to pray, how we can pray. God put this stuff in the Bible partially to show us that this is actually how you can talk to God. Now, notice he's not, the psalmist isn't doing this with a high hand. He's not saying, I hate you, God. He's asking God some very honest questions. And what's interesting is it's asking these questions that, that actually allows him to begin to get to answers. You see, our brains love to stay in muddy generalities. We love to just be in this state of, I, I don't like what's happening right now, but I don't want to think about what I don't like. We don't like to actually articulate, but what the psalmist does is he writes out his problems. God, here are my issues with you right now. Here are my big questions that I need you to answer for me. And it's actually in asking those questions that we can begin getting to an answer. 
And then verse 10. This is where everything changes for Asaph. Here's what he says. Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the ears of the right hand of the Most High. Now, depending on what Bible translation you, you have, uh, you, pr- you might have a footnote here as to a different way that you could possibly translate this verse, or you might have a different translation and a different footnote. So I have my ESV. Uh, there's another way that you could translate this. This is my grief that the right hand of the Most High has changed. The reason for this difference is that there are two Hebrew words here. There are six Hebrew words in the verse. And two of them, we're not exactly sure which way we should translate them. They could be translated, they could be, it could be this word, or it could be this word, it could be this word, and the other one has two possibilities. So you got several different ways you could translate this verse. But I think the ESV does a good job here. Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the ears of the right hand of the Most High. What the psalmist does here is that he says, here's how I'm going to answer my questions. It's not that I'm putting them away. It's not that I'm saying that they're bad questions. He says, here's how I'm going to answer them. I'm not going to just stay on my questions. I'm going to answer them. And here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to appeal to the years of the right hand of the Most High. You're like, what in the world does that mean? Okay, right hand, right? I'm a lefty, but for most people, that's the mighty hand, right? That's the stronger one. If you're in arm wrestling, it's the right hand championships that you really care about. So that's the mighty right hand, right? Okay, so he says, I'm going to look back to the mighty right-hand years of the Most High. When did God do great things? Let me look back and rediscover who God is and who I can really trust in. So he looks, he looks back. Now, what I love about this moment in the psalm is that he finds a way to get, back, get past his problem, but it's actually by appealing to the same thing that was giving him deeper distress before. Have you guys ever heard of Alexander the Great? Okay, there's a story from him I think is helpful. Uh, Alexander the Great, you know, he's going on his big conquest to conquer all of, all of Asia, and he ends up conquering a ton. But he gets this place in about 333 B.C. called Gordium. And in Gordium, it's named for Gordius. Gordius was this guy that came to town one day riding a cart. And there was this prophecy that they had in the town about how there's going to be this king that comes to your town and... He's going to be riding in a cart with an ox or something like that, and that's going to be your king. So Gordius becomes king, but he ties up his cart with the, with the ox yoke and everything there, and he ties what we call the Gordian knot. It is a knot that you can't see the ends of the ropes. It's, a, it's, it's hidden, and you can't actually figure out how to untie it. We call this the Gordian knot. It's actually, today we use that expression to describe problems that you can't figure out how to solve. And he makes his own, there's another prophecy that comes up about this Gordian knot. Whoever comes and unties this Gordian knot, this big mess of rope, that person is going to be king of everything. That person is going to conquer everything. So Alexander comes through, and of course, he wants to be the one who does this, right? He wants to fulfill that prophecy. So the way the story goes, Alexander, he comes in and he tries, he pulls on a few things and tries to untie it for a little bit. And he finally just gets sick of it. He whips out his sword and he just slices the whole thing and it falls apart. He's like, prophecy fulfilled, mic drop, going to go conquer the rest of Asia, right? Look out India. Now, I think something similar happens here. It seems like cheating in a way, right? But I think God here gives us a sword with which to cut this Gordian knot, the knot that we knot ourselves into when we have these difficult times come upon us and when we have all this anxiety and worry in our lives. And here's, here's what it is. It's to look back to the past, but not focusing on it 
focusing on ourselves and our problems, but to focus on God and who he is and what he can do and has done in our lives. So in the next few verses, I'm not going to reread all of it, but he says that he's going to talk about who God is. He says, your way, O God, is holy. Who, uh, what God is great like our God. You are the God who works wonders. Notice the tone is totally different than 10 verses ago. But then he goes to a specific instance. He talks about the waters and how the the, the waters part and the, the, the rain comes down. And he talks about Moses and Aaron. He's talking about this great story of the Exodus. When God's people are in slavery and God brings them out of Egypt to his promised land. And God does mighty things. And by the way, the Exodus is the story that everybody looks back to in the Bible. Everybody in the Old Testament looks back to it and says, that was when it was really clear God was doing something great for us. And so the psalmist looks back to that time and he says, man, this is the God. This is the God that I worship. The God that takes a people who were enslaved by the mightiest empire in the world at the time and brings them out so that he, they can be in his promised land. So that they can have the life that he always wanted them to live. So, like I said, this, the psalm begins with a cry of anguish, and it ends with a shout of praise. But it's that shift in the middle that makes all the difference. Now, there are a couple things that are interesting about how this psalm ends. Uh, number one, notice what event the psalmist reaches for when he's trying to think about God's faithfulness. It's not just something for him personally. It's something for the people of God. The psalmist started off, Asaph started off all alone. But now he's ending by placing himself within the people of God, thinking about what God has done for his people. The other thing that's interesting is, by the end of the psalm, God hasn't actually done anything to change his situation yet. Right? He doesn't say, like, I, I, I remember this stuff, and then God uh, made me feel all better, right? Gave me some Tamiflu, and I'm, I'm all good. He, it's, it's actually his attitude and his perspective on life that changed. And that's just how it is sometimes. We go through difficult times. To be a Christian is not to have an easy life. It is to go through difficult times. But what can change is our attitude and our perspective and how we approach that. We can say, God, where are you? Do you even exist? But the other way to do it is to say, God, I know who you are because you've acted so clearly in my life. So I want to give you... Uh, first, the big point of all this, and then I want to give you two habits that I think will help us to cultivate this sort of mindset this year. Big point. The big, big point is this. God's faithfulness in the past gives us hope for the future. God's faithfulness in the past gives us hope for the future. And there are two ways that I think that we can build this into our lives this year. First off, be honest and specific with God about your questions. Like I said, a lot of the time we like to leave it in murky generalities. Actually articulate your questions to God. You might do this in a prayer. You might actually journal these and write these out on a piece of paper and say, God, here are my big questions for you right now. I need you to answer these. But it's not just asking them. The second thing that we need to do is that we need to allow God to answer those using the past. And I think one great way to do that, and one great way to keep the past and what God has done always on the front of our minds, is to begin our prayers with praise. We often, when we pray, we, we want to just go to God and say, God, here's what I need. I need this and this right here. I got my whole laundry list. Here's what I need. But what if instead of that, every, for every time we ask God something, we actually began first by saying, God, you're so amazing. Here's what you've done in my life. We don't focus on what we don't have. We focus on what we do have. 
Now, I think there are a couple different levels on which we need to do this. Remember, it's not just about us individually. It's about us as God's people. So what has God done for us? Well, my goodness, we have so much more to be thankful for, to praise God for, than what Asaph did. We've gotten to see Jesus, God's one and only son, who came down and made a new exodus. He ushered us out of the the realm of sin and death and has given us the ability to have this new life, right? A new covenant. We get to have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, God's, God's law written on our hearts. Wow, what a blessing that is. But Foundry Church, you guys have things that you can praise God for as well, right? I mean, just, just in the last year and a half, I mean, you guys are only a year and a half or so old. Think about, think about the, everything that God has done. There are new people that are coming. You guys have had seven or eight baptisms this year. You guys, a year ago, you were in the middle of a building project and trying to figure out how we're going to pay for this building, how we're going to renovate, how we're going to get it to be a space where people can come and worship and encounter the God, the God of the universe. And look at this place now, right? It's amazing. You've got new people who are training to become pastors and leaders for the church that are coming out of this congregation, people that weren't doing that before this church. That's amazing, right? Now, it's easy to look at what you don't have and say, well, we don't have 500 people here right now. But that's not the point. The point is look at what God has done and look what he's going to do with you in the future. As you look at God's faithfulness in the past, that gives you hope for what he's going to do in the future. And the last level on which you can do this is your own personal life. Where have you clearly seen God's hand at work in your own life? Clearly, right? You, you couldn't explain the things that happened in your life in the past in any way, but that God was working. What are those times? So, as we wrap up today, I want to just invite you to, uh, to visualize with me for a minute. I want you to just close your eyes. And I want you, I'm going to ask you to do something weird. I want you to just think of, I want you to think of a tension or a difficulty that you suspect may arise in 2020. Like, this is a really bad way to end a sermon. Okay, I want, I want you to just think, think of some, something that, that could cause you anxiety, some time of difficulty when you might feel like this psalmist feels at the beginning of the psalm. You got it? I want you to feel the weight of that, that situation. I want you to sense the anxiety that it could cause you. And now, I want you to think of what God has done for you. That might be the you as part of God's people. It might be the you as part of Foundry Church. It might be you individually. I want you to think of when you have seen the mighty right hand of God in your life. And I want you to focus not, I don't want you to forget your problem, but I want you to focus on God and who he is. And I want you to feel that stress and that anxiety from that situation. I want you to feel that melting away. So, Lord, we pray this morning that you would help us as we encounter the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days of 2020, which we know are going to come. We pray that you would help us to confront these with an attitude of faith, with an attitude of looking to you and praising you and remembering the amazing things that you've done for us. We pray that you would keep us from the cycle of depression and anxiety that can so easily come when hard times come upon us. But Lord, we ask that you would remind us of your goodness. Remind us of of even the things that we so much take for granted. Remind us of all the things that you've done for us and help us to see your mighty right hand in our past. We pray that that would give us hope.
for our present and our future. Amen.